1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift, of my father pro- for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marianne. Friends, it is such a joy to to be with you. It is an absolute privilege to study God's word together. Um, So many new faces and so many familiar faces. It's just wonderful to share this time together. Let's pray and let's invite the Spirit of God to, to speak to us. Heavenly Father, thank you that every person in this room matters to you. And as we open your word, would you open our hearts? You are aware of and concerned with not only this community, but every individual here. And so we pray that you would speak into our our lives. Pray that you would reveal to us why dependence upon you is absolutely vital. That you'd help us to understand what that means for us as individuals and also as a community. And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that today that they would know and believe all that you have done for them in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things together in his name. And everyone said, amen. Francis Schaeffer was one of the great Christian thinkers of the previous century. And on one occasion, he was at this big conference and the question was put to him, what is the greatest obstacle to the modern church. And the whole audience waited to see what his answer would be. What is the greatest obstacle to the mission of the church moving forward in these, in these modern times? And what was surprising is what he did not say. 
He did not say that the greatest obstacle to the modern church was the rise of secularism. Nor did he say it was materialism. Nor politics or lack of funding or resources or that the music wasn't good enough or even the shrinking presence of the church in the public square. He said the greatest obstacle to the modern church is ministry in the flesh. Now, if that language sounds strange to you, hopefully this description will help. In the Bible, the term flesh can refer oftentimes to our general humanity, that is our flesh and blood, of course. But in a deeper sense, the phrase living according to the flesh describes a person who is living outside of and apart from God's purpose and power. And that is a problem. Here's what Francis Schaeffer said. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. The central problem is always within the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. And so if we do not want to waste our lives, then we must understand the importance of having a humble, quiet heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, my great concern is for myself operating outside of and apart from God's purpose and power. That's my great concern as a husband. I cannot be a faithful husband to Lindsay Chaddock apart from the power of God. I cannot be a good father to Lily, Phoebe, and Paige, who, if you guys have stuck around for a while, my oldest is 18 years old. If you want to feel old, you're welcome. She's an adult. She's a woman. I need the Spirit of God. She needs the Spirit. We, you can pray for my family. My great concern as a church leader is operating and according to my ability. And friends, your concern should be the same as an individual leading your life. Your concern as a church should be that you would not depend on your own strength and ability, but the power of God. And of course, that is the solution. It's to live within God's purpose and connected to his power. So how does this happen? Well, that is what Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is telling us, which records for us the earliest history of the church, which was a movement of the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts is essentially a travel log of the people of God following the Spirit. And so we asked this morning the question, how can we avoid individually and corporately living apart from God's purpose and power? How can you be a movement of God's Spirit? Well, from this text, I just want to highlight three marks of a dependent community. They're important for you as individuals, even if you're exploring Christian faith and you're trying to understand what this is all about, this is important. But this is also important for our family of churches. These three marks have, have significantly shaped how our church family has come about. And the first mark is this. What does it mean to be a dependent family? Well, first, it's simply about receiving from 
God. That's number one. It's about receiving from God. What was the very first commandment the risen Jesus gave to his assembled apostles? What was the first task given to this group of people who would go on to establish the largest religion in the world? Jesus said, do nothing. What am I supposed to do with that? Nothing. Well, there you go again. Let me read it again, verses three and four, if you have your Bibles open of Acts chapter one. After his suffering, speaking of Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. I want us to think for a moment how hard this would have been to hear for the apostles. To give you some context, Jesus, of course, had been ministering publicly for three years, healing, preaching, gathering, leading all the way to the cross where he offered his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, for for yours and for mine, all the way to Easter Sunday where he would defeat death by rising again. And he said that now a new day has dawned and men and women who had put their faith and trust in him would quite literally be changed and change the world. A mission was given to them. Go into all the world and tell people about this good news. There was so much to be done, so many lives at stake. But here at the beginning, Jesus says as clearly as he possibly could, first and foremost, do nothing. But it's not that there was nothing to do. They needed to wait. And he is showing them and showing us that our purpose, both individually and corporately, cannot be accomplished by anything that we can provide. Do you know that? Do we know that? To put it simply, to do the work of God, we must receive from God. Whatever it is that needs to be accomplished, you cannot supply it from yourself or mere human ability or creativity or ingenuity, which is quite contrary to the modern message. I mean, my word, especially I was born and raised in California and like, especially in schools, you know, they just tell you like, you know, you're the best and like everyone gets a trophy. Like that, that's the culture. If you want to know about California culture, it's like science and granola and crystals and trophies. Like that's all you need to know. Like everybody gets it and like you can change the world. You can, you know, you can save yourself, believe in yourself. So you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is all possible based on your own strength. Yet here is Jesus sending his disciples and his first command is don't do a thing. You must wait. Now, few things, I don't know about you, but there are few things that teach me about my desperation and my desperate condition like waiting. I am a man of action. I walk fast. When we lived here in London, I got three daughters. When, when we're going up the stairs, I'm a two-at-a-time kind of guy, right? My wife's like, honey, you have children. I'm like, 
the bus leaves <laughs> at 12.22, honey, which, which means if we arrive, see, for me, time is a concrete reality. For my wife, it is a concept. She's like, what is time? I'm like, the, so the bus will, will be gone. It's, it's gone. Like 12.23, it's gone. It, we will be late. I've learned so much in waiting. Therapy, the, the whole deal. That's only partially a joke, but it does remind us of our desperate need for what only God can supply. Do we know this? One of the stories in our uh, family of churches was back in 2004, I first joined uh, the Reality Family of Church. At the time, there was only one in this small little beach town called Carpinteria, California, which boasts safest beach in the world, cleanest beach in the world. It's probably not true, but we like to slap that on everything. God was at work in that town. They wanted to plant a church. My wife and I felt called to plant in Los Angeles, and we'd prayed about it for the better part of a year. And over the course of that time, we felt compelled that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to move our, our new family at the time. We're supposed to go to Los Angeles. We're supposed to plant a church. So I called up Britt Merrick, who was the founding pastor of the first reality church. And I said, hey, we sense from God. We're supposed to go to Los Angeles. We're supposed to plant a church. We're ready to go. We're going to move next week. And he said, no, wait. I was like, that's all I do is wait. He says, I want you to move to Carpinteria. I was like, I don't want to move to Carpinteria. He's like, you're going to move to Carpinteria. And here's why. We're going to do a year of prayer meetings. We're going to do a year of prayer meetings because there is no way that we can do the work of God without being dependent upon God. And that began a, a very strong value for us as a church planning family from day one that it must begin with prayer. It must begin with a posture of receiving from God. Apart from this, we can do nothing. And so all the, the new endeavors after that, we then eventually, after that year of praying, then we moved to Los Angeles. I was ready to go. But God slowed me down. We had to pray. We had to realize that I did not have what it would take to start a church in, in Los Angeles. We did not have what it takes. It doesn't matter how good your, your music is, how good your preaching is, how organized you are. Those, things are. those things matter, but they do not change lives on their own. It is only the power of God. And who are we fooling to think that we can supply what all the millions of people around you in London need? And so wait why? They needed the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about all the, the prayer gatherings since that point in time. All of the reality churches that began started with prayer. Some of you who are new may not um, have heard these stories, but before Reality Church London was planted, there were 150 Americans who paid their own money to fly to London, which is normally not a good strategy, let me just say, but they came here to pray. 150 people came here, spent their own money just to pray. Why? Because we know that to do the work of God, we must receive from God. Now, I want to get practical in a moment, but this, this news 
to the disciples shouldn't have been news on this day. Jesus told them the night before he died that he would rise again and that they would not be left alone, but they would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in them to fulfill the purpose of God through them in the world. That is what he's referring to in verse four. As I told you, which Jesus says often to his disciples and he says often to us, hey, remember that thing I've told you like 20 times? Just gonna remind you again. And that is Luke's point. This is not about the start of our work, but a continuation of his work. And so we need the spirit of God. Friends, do we know that this work does not depend upon us. So much of the teaching I hear, sadly, even in the, the Christian church at times, sounds as if all we need is some principles from the Bible and a good strategy, and we can go make it happen. But Christianity is impossible without the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is absolutely impossible without the power of God. But the good news is this, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust in him, you receive the Holy Spirit. And this is great news for everyone. Because when I was a brand new Christian, I thought that there were two classes of Christians. I thought that there was like, you know, the normal mediocre class of Christians, i.e. me. And then there were like the, the next level Christians, which was everybody, everybody else. Like normal Christians were destined to live like a mediocre life, but then there was like the extra special Christians, like man, they're special. It's like when you, when you get on a plane, you know, I just flew, and you go past like first class, and you're like, wow. <laughs> like they have a bed. And see, I was deceived because I never fly British Airways. I used to fly Virgin, and so I get to the airport, and I look on my ticket, and it's like world traveler. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I kind of fancy myself as a world traveler. And I was like, did I get an upgrade or, or something? And it's like, okay, I get in the queue for world traveler. Uh, uh, hi, I'm a world traveler, Tim Chaddock. And so I'm walking in the plane. I see all these nice seats. I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm going to my seat number. I'm like, okay, that's not me. The next set of seats are like almost as nice. I'm like, yeah, this will do. But then I come to the section world travel. I'm like, oh, it's economy. I'm like, wow. It's like amateur world traveler. It's like, what is this? So often people in the church feel that way. Like, oh, those people are like, oh, they're special, man. They really have the spirit of God. But I guess, you know, I'm doomed to this mediocre Christian life. Well, friends, I was dead wrong. I read through the New Testament and I was overwhelmed by the promise that through faith, God inhabits every believer and enables you to live like Jesus wherever you are. The Spirit's power is not the privilege of special believers. It is a promise to every believer. And that is good news for us. However, though the Spirit is present in every believer, the Spirit is not always preeminent in every believer. And the same with the church. It's not about a one-time experience, and that's the second thing I want to say. Being a dependent community is about first receiving from God. Christianity is impossible without the power of God. But secondly, it's about relying upon God. Receiving from God, relying upon God. 
It starts with the receiving. You receive Christ by faith. You receive the Holy Spirit. But the Christian life and the church continues by relying upon God. And so immediately after Jesus makes this statement about waiting in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the disciples ask their question. Verse six and seven, they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love the apostles. They're like, Jesus, we want the plan. We want the details. I want the downloadable PDF from heaven so that I can know how all of this is gonna pan out. Oh, I beg for that every day. Every morning, I'm like, Lord, at this time, will you give me all the details about what I'm supposed to do with my three daughters and the rest of my life? And Jesus is like, it is not for you to know. And I'm like, But instead, you will receive power. And here in verse eight, he tells us why we must rely continually on the spirit. We need power, not simply for what we're called to do, but who we are called to be. Here, a believer is called a witness. A witness to the ends of the earth. And a witness means essentially two things. You are a witness of something and you are a witness to something. A witness of what you've seen and heard. The, this, this group of people, they are witnesses of Jesus Christ. They were witnesses of their own transformation. And as a result, they were a witness to the watching world. And the same is true for you and I. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are a witness of the radical transforming power of Jesus in your life, that you are forgiven, you are born again, you are made new, and then you are a witness to your neighbors and your colleagues and your coworkers. How? By reliance on the Holy Spirit. And after receiving the Holy Spirit, none of the disciples would tell you it was better without the Holy Spirit. And as indicated in the text, what happens when we rely on the Holy Spirit continually, he shows us our place in this great mission. Or to put it another way, reliance on the Holy Spirit causes this mission to become personal for you and for the church. Imagine for a moment inserting your name in this passage, just like if you were to write your name in there like you, so for me, Tim, you will receive power to be witnesses. So put your name there. You will receive power to be my witness in, in London and to the ends of the earth, even zone eight. <laughs> like wherever you go, you will be a witness as you rely upon the spirit of God. He causes the mission to become personal for you. And so I ask you, do you know what part of the mission belongs to you? here in Reality Church London, has the mission of this church become personal for you? I know what it's like to be new to a community and you're just kind of there, you're kind of testing out the waters, like, oh, the announcements, I give it like a six and a half out of 10. I give the, I, I like the one song, didn't really care for the other song. It's like, okay. But there needs to come a point where you say, I'm owning this. I'm a part of this community. I'm not a spectator. I'm a participant. That's what happens when you continually rely on the Holy Spirit. He causes the mission to become 
personal. And I love this because I'm amazed at how in the book of Acts, the gospel spreads through regular members of the church. Sadly, we think that, you know, only specific people can accomplish the work of the church, but rather it's all of us together. It was, it was primarily through these, what would otherwise be called ordinary men and women that they did extraordinary things. How? By relying upon the Holy Spirit. This means thinking about your career in relation to the mission of God and relying upon the Holy Spirit. This means thinking about your relationships in light of the mission of God and relying upon the Holy Spirit. Thinking about the location, the place that you live, that is your mission. And the Holy Spirit will help you. The neighbors that at times we awkwardly just avoid because we don't want to have that awkward conversation. Your presence matters. In this church, your presence matters in your neighborhood. Yesterday morning, I was, I was so jet-lagged. I didn't sleep at all. And so I went for a little run in my old neighborhood, and I saw one of my old neighbors. And I was so thrilled to see them. And immediately, within two minutes of the conversation, he told me that his wife's mother had just died. And then a few minutes later, I stopped by an old friend's house and you know, got to hear about what was going on in their lives. And I just thought, oh my word, God, you put these people in my life to be a witness of what God had done in my life and a witness to what God was able to do in their lives. This is true for you, friends. So how do we move forward with that? Let me just give you two simple ways. What does it mean to rely upon the Spirit? Well, at least these two things, obedience and prayer. How do you rely upon the Holy Spirit? You do the stuff in Scripture, like as you're attending here on Sunday mornings and studying scripture, like if the Bible's calling us to, to obey and to live in a certain way, you set out to do it and you ask the Spirit of God for the power to do it with. You ask, you, you pray. The Holy Spirit will bring these truths to mind and help you to live it out and to apply it. Ask God to become more effective. Ask God in prayer as a church to become effective in your mission. And he delights to answer. This is why prayers was not only a key part in how the reality family of churches began every church with these things we call prayer tours or prayer walks where we knew that if we're going to start a church, it had to be birthed in prayer. But we must also rely upon prayer. It's why in our little family of churches, there's like a pre-service prayer. There's, there's prayer within the gathering. There's, there's a prayer ministry, a prayer team. And, you know, occasional as every city is a little bit different in their rhythms. There's this central prayer gathering. Friends, never underestimate the power of prayer. As a little church family, we're like, man, we don't have anything to offer other than the power of God. God's brought us to this place where we are desperate people acknowledging that we need the power of God. So what do we need to do? We must pray. I don't know about you, but I don't have what it takes. You might even say, well, I'm not comfortable enough or I'm not, I'm not good with confrontation or I'm not educated enough or whatever it might be. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be a witness. Listen, some of the most remarkable things that have happened, not only in the history of the church, but even the things I've experienced you know, in church cannot be explained by human ability. In the first year when we were living in Los Angeles, we had just planted the, the church and we had this, this core group of people and we began doing these like weekly you know, times of prayer in like smaller groups and then we'd get together and we're like, Lord, only you can move. 
Only you are able to move. And as we continue to pray, one of the most incredible things happened. There was a young man, his name was Chase. He faithfully attended church and he started bringing all of his, his friends. He was in his early 20s. He's one of those influential people, just had so many social connections. Everybody knew him and they respected him and he would drag his friends to church. I knew because they were the ones there just like arms folded like, when is this guy gonna stop talking? He would bring his friends to church. A few months later, he got into a terrible accident. He cracked his skull. He went into a coma for three months and then he died. During those three months, all of his friends who were both Christian and all of his friends who were not Christian, they began to be stirred up. Those who were Christians were praying for him and praying that, that his friends would come to know Jesus and those who were not Christians, they started having questions about life and mortality and the fragility of the human condition because their friend was in critical care and they all started coming to church and then when Chase actually died, there was a thousand people that showed up at his memorial and weeks later, there were I'm not even kidding. There was like 100, 200 people all through the social network. They started coming to our church service and they started giving their lives to Jesus. And there was like, what we began to know is this like mini revival happening. And let me tell you, it was not because the sermons were good. They were terrible. I can testify because my father-in-law was in the church and he's like, I can't even listen to you. I was like, Fair enough. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives were changed through continual reliance on prayer, understanding as a church family and as individual churches, like we can't do this apart from the power of God. Through this young man's testimony, he was a witness of and to, and all these young people just started coming to faith. You can't find that in the church planting manual. It's an extraordinary God working through ordinary people. Friends, it comes through relying upon God relying upon his power. And as you do, it'll bring other people near to God. And that's the third mark. It's about relating to God, receiving from God, relying upon God, and relating to God. These have not only marked our, our, our family, but they're so beautifully laid out in the text. Because depending on God is all about a relationship. See, oftentimes uh, we relate to the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, like we relate to our internal organs. <laughs> we know they're there. We know they're important, but we're often unaware. That is unless you're over 40, which I now am, and I'm very aware um, of that. We're like, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, you know, whatever. But the Holy Spirit is a person. To experience him is to know God if we do not rely upon the Spirit, if we do not relate to the Spirit in this intimate way, we will end up exhausted and burnt out. And maybe some of you feel that way even this morning. After all, it's very easy to, to burn out. You know, you, you hear another call to get involved. It's about getting involved in a group or joining this class or giving of your, of your financial resources and it can all feel very exhausting. And at times, as the more we dwell on the need, the less motivated we become. But it is in these moments we must remember that all the activities of the Christian life and the ministry of the church is all about being with God. This is one of the most foundational 
truths that our little church family was built upon. I'll never forget this phrase that the first pastor, Britt Merrick, used when I went on staff before planting in Los Angeles. He said, all ministry flows from intimacy. Before it's ever about the work that you do for God, it is always about being with God. See, oftentimes we view ourselves as workers first and worshipers second. And that is not the way that it is meant to be. We are worshipers first and workers second. Listen, God is not short on resources or ideas. He's not looking down at you and he's like, well, this is a great talent pool. I mean, it is central London. Like God's like, oh, if I could get them in my kingdom, imagine what would happen if I could just unleash their, their it's not like the the apprentice, you know, Lord Sugar's like, well, I don't know. They, they, I mean, they might be really successful. God does not choose you because he needs you. He's chosen you because he loves you. It is about relating to God. Doing God's work is not about what we can do for him in the world. It's about what the Holy Spirit leads us to do with him in the world. And that phrase has become kind of a mantra in our little church family. And it started with those early days of just desperate prayer meetings. And not just assuming prayer, but making prayer explicit in our personal lives, in our church rhythms, acknowledging that apart from God, we can do nothing, and knowing that all ministry flows from intimacy. It's true. Every good thing that will be accomplished in and through Reality Church London will come as a result of being near to Jesus. Every good thing. The ministry that God has for you as a church will come from intimacy with God. He doesn't call you out of need. He calls you out of love. And if you operate from this place, relating to the to the spirit of God who loves you, you will experience joy because you're doing the work with God. You are a worshiper first and a worker second. Friends, these are foundational truths for our lives individually, but also as a church corporately. It begins by receiving from God. It continues by relying upon God. And it all happens by relating to God. This great mission is not something we accomplish for him, but with him. And our aim as a little church family is just to make that explicit and not just to assume it. And we hope and pray that for Reality Church London, that would be true of you. But it's also true for you as individuals. When you think about your relationships, your friendships, your marriages, your involvement, your gifts, your talents, your ability, it's about being a dependent person. And so our chief desire should be nearness to God. And therefore, our chief concern should be anything that would hinder us from that. Because listen, it's not the ministry that sustains the relationship, it's the relationship that sustains the ministry. I've had to learn that the hard way. It's not like, oh, I do all this stuff and then God gives me five gold stars in heaven and then I get to be near to him. It's all about being near to him, knowing 
his great love for me and his love for you. And out of that, serving and loving other people. And the goal of the ministry is that others would be brought to intimacy, that lost people would be brought to God. And so it says in Acts chapter three later on, when Peter's preaching, he says, therefore to the crowds, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? We repent, that is, we turn away from trusting ourselves towards trusting in God, and times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And so as God would have it, he keeps us in this continual pattern of dependence, reminding us of our desperate need for him and constantly supplying our need as we look to him. It's something that's been ingrained into this rhythm of our family of churches. If we're gonna plant in San Francisco, it needs to start in prayer because apart from God, we can do nothing. If we're gonna plant in Boston, it's gotta start in prayer because apart from him, we can do nothing. If we're gonna plant in London, it starts with prayer because apart from God, we can do nothing. And as we move forward as a family, we want to move forward, as it were, on our knees. But it's also true for you. The Dutch Christian Holocaust survivor, Corrie ten Boom, wrote much about our need to remain dependent on God. And on one occasion, she said that we need to be more like trains and less like cars. <laughs> See, a train runs on the electricity that is coming through that, that third rail, that third rail gives the train power through constant connection. The car, on the other hand, pops into the petrol station for some refueling and then departs. And isn't, how many, isn't that how many of us are when it relates to church? Oh, I'm just gonna like come in, get a little top up, and then I'm gonna like go away from God and I'll like visit him later on in the week when I'm on empty. How many of us are relating to God in that way? I come here, I kind of get what I need, and then I go get on with my business. But instead, we need to be like that, that train connected to the source of power. So this morning I ask, where are you drawing your strength from? If you're here with us and you're not yet a Christian, it begins by receiving. Receiving the good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose again on the third day for your salvation. Receive that gift today. You cannot save yourself. Only Christ can save you. Trust in him today. And church, the strength you need for ministry to other people, it comes from Christ's ministry to you. How? By the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shines the light in your heart on Christ's finished work, his love for you, the beauty and glory of his redemption and his sacrifice and the power of his resurrection. The Holy Spirit causes us to become so real to your heart and it's so beautiful because the way that God chose us to give us power is by giving us himself. He offers himself to us in the gospel. We are called to believe and receive. And it can begin even now. So as we prepare to respond, let us ask that God would create in us a dependency upon him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for the finished work of his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection by which we are saved. But I pray for those who have not yet received 
this good news for their salvation. We pray that right now they would. And I pray for these precious men and women in this church. I pray that these men and women be marked by those who rely upon and relate to you on a daily basis. And I pray that even in this opportunity now, this moment that we have in our gathering, that we would not be like the vehicle that heads into the station and leaves a moment later, but that we would be connected to you, turning away from ourselves and turning again towards you for all that we need for the work that you have. May we draw near to you now. In Jesus' name.